0: Genesis chapter 32, we left off with Jacob leaving Pandanaram. He had been there for 20 years. Essentially, he was in exile. Oh, you know the story. He was running for his life. He was hiding out in Pandanaram for his older brother, his older twin brother, Esau, whose name means Harry, was determined to kill him. The reason? Uh, Jacob had tricked his dad, Isaac, into giving him, Jacob, the blessing. The blessing that should have went to Esau, for Esau was the older twin brother. But Jacob was able to manipulate the situation, to con his way into getting the blessing. When Esau found that out, he was ticked off. And he said, I'm going to kill you, Jacob. And Jacob ran away that day. He ran to Pandanaram. And he stayed there for 20 long years. During that time, he became very prosperous. Lots and lots of livestock. Lots of sheep and goats. Lots of cattle. Not only was he prosperous, but he was also prolific. He had lots and lots of kids. He had 11 sons. And a daughter by the name of Dinah. And now the time had come where the Lord began to stir his heart, and the Lord began to speak that word into his ear, saying, Jacob, it's time for you to go back home to Canaan again. And so here he goes. Now he's on his way. After 20 long years, he's on his way back home again. But you see, there's a problema. There's some unfinished business. He knows that his brother Esau could still feel, may very well still feel, real anger and hostility towards Jacob. He knows there's some unfinished business that must be taken care of. Jesus taught us the same thing in Matthew chapter 5, didn't He? Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there you remember that your brother has something against you. You're to leave your gift at the altar. You're to go your way and be reconciled to your brother. And then after there is reconciliation, then you can come and continue with your worship and with your adoration. But that's a challenge. All of us, to one degree or another, have faced that challenge, have faced that difficulty. We know how difficult and challenging it can be to see reconciliation taking place between a brother or a sister from whom we are estranged or with whom there has been an offense. The Bible would say that an offended brother is harder to win than a fortified city. Interesting statement. It's easier to take a city than it is to get right with your brother when there's been an offense, an estrangement, you see. So in this section, Jacob's headed back home, but there's unfinished business. There needs to be, and there's going to be, as we shall see, a reconciliation between Jacob and his older twin brother Esau. Well, let's see how the story unfolds. Jacob, verse 1, went on his way and... The angels of God met him. And Jacob saw them. And he said, Oh, this is God's host. He called the name of that place Mehanaim, which means two hosts. He's on his way with his cattle, with his kids, with his sons, with his servants. He's on his way. And then he looks around and lo and behold, he sees there's a whole... Other company. Uh, Not just his sons and servants and cattle and kids and wives, but he sees also traveling with them is another group. It's a band of angels. There's an angelic company traveling with him. He's blown away. He's amazed that day. Mehanaim, he calls that place, two hosts. It's not just me and my family, but it's also this angelic company, he saw the reality of the heavenly escort that would be traveling with him and with his family. You know, I am so thankful that that is true, not only for Jacob, but it's also true for me and it's true for you. Jesus said that each of our children has an angel assigned to them. The book of Hebrews declares to us that ministering spirits, angels, have been dispatched from heaven to travel by our side. Angels are sent to us to travel with us. And angels are specifically assigned to the kids in our family. I'm so glad about that. Because there's lots of stuff that could freak me out. The thing in Springfield is very disconcerting. You realize that kids are being gunned down on campus. You realize that bizarre things are taking place. And that could cause me, as a parent, to be freaked out, to be worried greatly. But the Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And part of that sound mind means realizing what God has to say about the host of angels that is assigned to His people. That is, the guardian angels that are given to our children. It's true. Nothing can happen to your kids or to my kids accidentally. There are angels that are standing with them. God is watching over them. And I say that to say that it can be a very real vulnerability for parents to say, Camp? You're talking about camp? I heard about your camp games. I heard about Wells Fargo. I heard about Gestapo. I heard about those late night beach hikes and all the rest. I don't want Johnny or Julie to get bruised and broken. No way. I understand why you would say that. But nonetheless, understand this. We need to realize that God is watching over our kids day to day. Some parents, in fact, there's one family, and I, I, I'm very close to them, and I love them deeply. Known them for years and years and years. And they're my age, approximately. And uh, it was really interesting because this couple... This dad particularly was freaked out about his kids ever being hurt and he would never let them, you know, go here or he was concerned about taking them to church because they might catch a flu bug in the nursery or they might get hurt if they play Pop or football or whatever it might be. Really hyper-concerned. And these parents really watched over their kids like hawks and and hovered over them, literally hovered to make sure that nothing could happen to their children. And their kids, who were not athletic or not ruffians, were constantly breaking their legs and chipping their teeth and smashing their skulls. I mean, these kids were the most bruised up and battered kids I've ever known. And, and it was like they were just incredibly accident prone. And the deal is, and we would talk about this, me and my buddy, We would talk. About, I'd say, look, here's the deal. You have usurped the authority of the angels that God has assigned to your kids. You've gotten in the way. I mean, you're trying to be their angel, and it's not working out. Let go. Back off. Trust in the Lord. Get your kids in Sunday school. Let your kids play baseball. Quit hovering over your... I'm convinced of this. If I am going to play angel for my kids, God will say, okay, you can if you want to be the protector of them, you can do it. All withdraw the angelic presence that would be there for your children, and you can be the prote- you can be Johnny Angel. And I think of him and me, and how it's going to be. But it, 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 I'm convinced that that can happen, that we can get in the way in trying to. Protect, you see, what we as parents need to remember, what we as people need to be aware of, is what Jacob saw that day. Hey, there's angels traveling with us. I've got my kids with me. I've got a problem ahead, ultimately, with Esau. But now I see that God is with us. And He has sent angels to be there right beside us. Well, John, are you saying then that that your kids are never going to get hurt or that tragedies won't come your way? Of course not. But what I am saying is we can trust the Lord that nothing can happen to our kids that has not been specifically allowed by our Father for sovereign and ultimately perfect purposes. So I can just relax and rest. And Jacob here on his journey was able to see, hey, there's angels traveling with my family. Cool. And the same thing is true for me, and the same thing is true for you. That's what Jesus said. So here he goes. He's on his way. And he sees a band of angels. So he calls that place Mahanaim, which means two hosts, two companies. Then we read in verse 3, that Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. That's where Esau lived. And he commanded these servants, saying, Thus shall you speak to my lord Esau. My servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban, and stayed there until now, and I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants, women servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I might find grace in thy sight. Jacob here, first of all, we see him. Number one, he's requesting a peace. P-E-A-C-E. He's requesting a peace. He sends his servants and says, go find Esau, Harry, my brother, and, and tell him that I'm coming back home, but tell him I'm a rich man. I want nothing from him. I'm not here to do anything against him or to cause any harm to come to him tell him there's no more competition. I've been gone for 20 years and and now I'm a rich man. And ask him if I could have his permission to travel this way and to make my way home again. He's requesting a peace. He sends his servants ahead with a peace treaty, a peace plan. Hey, tell him I'm asking his permission. I'm coming under, if you would, his submission, that I might make it back home to Canaan once again. Well, after that, verse 6, the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to thy brother Esau. We found Harry. And uh, he's coming to meet you with 400 men. And Jacob was greatly afraid and greatly distressed. So he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. He split up his family and his servants and his livestock into two groups, you see. Verse 8, he said, Well, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left can escape. We see now, after he was first requesting a peace, now he's reacting in panic. Here he's coming. Esau's on his way. 400 men are coming with him. Oh boy. Let's divide our company in two. And then if he wipes out half of us, at least half can escape and get away. He's panicking. He's very, very concerned. He's requested a peace. Now he's reacting in a panic. And then, we see him then, Number three, after requesting a peace and reacting in a panic, then he resorts to prayer. (laughs) Verse 9, after panicking and going through this dividing of his group, he then prays, Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said to me, Return to thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. Lord, I am not worthy of the least of all Thy mercies and of all the truth which Thou hast showed unto Thy servant. With my staff I passed over this Jordan. Man, when I when I crossed to go to Pandanaram, I just had a staff or a stick in my hand. That's all I had. But now I am become two bands. I'm rich. I'm blessed, he says. Verse 11, So deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Thou sayest, Lord, verse 12, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now he is resorting to prayer. He says, Lord, Lord, You told me to go back home. Lord, You've been blessing me. I'm a rich man now because of Your kindness and Your mercy. And now I'm doing what You told me to do. I'm headed back home. Lord, You told me. You said that we would be, my family would be as innumerable as the sand on the seashore. And here, Jacob is doing something oh so right. He's praying with insistence. He's taken the promise that God gave to him. And he's saying, now, Father, you promised, and that's the way that we ought to pray. We talked about that last Sunday in the amphitheater. To pray with insistence. George Mueller, that giant, that great man of faith, that that guy that knew how to pray, George Mueller, he told us in his writings, he said, when we pray, we must argue with God. Not indeed to convince Him, but to convince ourselves. George Mueller said, when you pray, take the promises and present your case. Argue with the Lord, not to convince Him, but God knows that I need to be convinced and when I pray the promises and argue the case, something happens to me. When I pray the promises and argue the case, my faith begins to soar. My faith begins to be built. And I say, yeah, Lord, You did say. Lord, it's true. You promised that You would provide, according to Your riches, all the needs that I have. Lord, You you did promise that You would keep that which is committed. Yeah, Lord, and as I argue my case with the Lord, I become convinced. Faith begins to blossom. And that's when things happen. The Bible says, without faith it is what? Impossible to please Him. But he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Faith is the key. And that comes in doing what Jacob's doing here, taking the promises and saying, Lord, You told me to go home. Lord, You said that we would be as innumerable as the sand on the seashore. So Lord, this is Your promise. This is what You told me, you see. He's praying. But notice, there's a problem. Because even though he's praying effectively and persuasively, yet it's interesting to me that he didn't pray initially he's a whole lot like me he first panics then he splits up his group into two groups and then he gets around to praying interesting you've heard the saying do your best and commit the rest That there's a truth in that but you know what it's not really the highest way don't do your best and commit the rest. That's kind of Jacob B. That's Jacob one one. Do your best and commit the rest. Jacob one two is God helps those that help themselves. That's kind of Jacob's mentality. <laughs> it's not so much do your best and then commit the rest. That's what Jacob is doing here, but rather it's commit it all. And you won't fall. Don't do your best and then say, okay, now I've done what I can do, so now Lord, I'm going to pray to You. No. Prayer should not be the last resort. It should be the first option. See, and I forget that. And maybe you do too. Maybe you're like me and Jacob. Maybe you might have a tendency to sometimes, okay, I'm going to do this and figure out that. Okay, I've done my best, and now now, Lord, I'm going to commit the rest. The Lord says, why don't you let me do my best, and then you can really rest. Why don't you pray first, John, instead of plotting and planning, why do I do this? Why do we have a tendency to try and figure it out on our own and then pray, Lord, help me? That's what Jacob did here. It was a good prayer, and yet it would have been a whole lot better had he, before he began his strategy, sought the Lord in prayer. Why do I say that? Because watch what happens next. First he requests a peace, then he reacts in panic, and then he resorts to prayer, and then he resumes his plotting. He resumes his plotting. He goes right back to his Jacobing, to his plotting, to his planning. Watch what he does. It says... He lodged there, verse 13, that same night, and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats, 20 he-goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milch camels with their colts, 40 kine, 10 bulls, 20 she-asses, and 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, verse 16. Every drove by themselves, or if you would, wave after wave. He said to his servants, pass over before me. Go ahead of me and put a space between the waves, between the droves. The idea there is send these gifts, these bribes to Esau. Now he makes this prayer and then he goes right on and begins to plot again. What can I do? I know I'll bribe him. He gets all of these hues and goats and camels and all this stuff. And he sends it wave after wave. He sends it ahead of him to try and bribe Esau, if you would. He commanded these servants that were taking the stuff. He said, When Esau my brother meeteth thee and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou? And whither goest thou? And whose are these before thee? What is all this stuff? Verse 18, Then you shall say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present. Sent by my Lord, or sent by Jacob to my Lord Esau. Behold, he's also behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third and all the waves that followed, saying, On this manner shall you speak to Esau when you find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him, bribe him with the present that goes before me, And afterward, when I see his face, peradventure he will accept me. Maybe after all of these gifts, all that stuff, maybe he'll accept me. Maybe he won't kill me. Maybe maybe he'll show mercy on me. So, off go the servants with all of these gifts, with all of those bribes going in the direction of Esau. So went the present, verse 21, before him, and he himself, Jacob, lodged that night in the company. He's with his family. He arose up that night. Man, he couldn't sleep. He knows the next day that he'll be facing Esau. He's full of consternation. Yeah, he prayed. And it was a good prayer. But like you and like me, he took the burden back again. And he thought, man, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? Couldn't sleep. Oh boy. Does he resort to prayer right then? Doesn't say that. Ah, the old song is so true. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. But oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. He's there, made his plan, now he's worried, full of anxiety. He's up all night, and then something amazing begins to happen. He crosses over, verse 23, the brook, the brook Jabok, a little brook that was there. He leaves his family, On one side, he crosses over to the other. And there, Jacob is going to have his second mega crisis. The second huge event in Jacob's life is about to take place. The first crisis, 20 years earlier, was at Bethel. Remember the story? Bethel, he was running away from Esau. And that first night, man, he was out in the middle of nowhere at a place called Luz. And he was getting sleepy and feeling weary and so he pulled up a rock and he laid his head on the rock that night and he fell asleep. And while he slept, he had a dream. He saw a ladder from heaven. And on the ladder were angels ascending and descending. And he wakes up and he says, Wow! Truly, God is in this place. And I knew it not. God is here. God is with me. Here I thought that, man, I'm such a jerk, and I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. Oh, man, no way would God be with me today. But he woke up and he said, this place will now be called no longer Luz, which means separation. It's going to be called Bethel which means house of God. And you know how he was converted right then. He became a believer, if you would. At Bethel, he was saved. But here, at Peniel, on the other side of the brook Jabbok, here in our story right before us, the verses that are right ahead, here, it's not a matter of his being saved, he is going to be sanctified. He is going to be set aside, set apart. A deep work is going to take place. He's already a believer. He became a believer 20 years earlier at Bethel. But here at Peniel, there's going to be a change in his behavior. Oh, he'll still backslide as we shall see. He'll still struggle most definitely. But something huge is about to happen. Something big. Twenty years earlier at at Bethel, he saw a ladder from heaven. Here at Peniel, he sees the leader of heaven, Jesus Christ. Uh, Twenty years earlier at Bethel, he left there. You know the story. It says he had happy feet. He had a spring in his step. Man, he went on his way that with a spring in his step. But now, twenty years later, here at Peniel, he's going to leave this place not with a spring in his step, but he's going to limp for the rest of his life. This is a huge event. It's the second big event. There are two huge events in Jacob's life. The first, when he was saved at Bethel. Now, here he's being sanctified. He's being radically changed. He already knows the Lord, but now he's going to be... Changed in a way that will allow him to be used by the Lord in a big time way. Watch and see. The story is incredible. It's amazing. I love it. Jacob, verse 24, was left alone that night. He crossed the brook Jabbok. He's in a place that will be called Peniel. And as he's there, a man appears. He grabs that man. He wrestles that man until the breaking of the day. That man was the God-man, Jesus Christ. And when he, verse 25, that is the Lord, saw that he prevailed not against Jacob, they're wrestling, see. And the Lord sees, hey, this guy's tough. He's putting up a good fight. He's not giving up. When, When the Lord saw that, the Lord then touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. That is, his hip became dislocated. Now that is really painful. I had a shoulder separation when I was in high school. I was playing a game that I invented for a recreational activity called tackle basketball. It was great for about 20 minutes. It was one of my great camp games. That's why we're not sending our kids to camp. No, uh, it was one of my great camp games, but it, after 20 minutes, I, I got tackled real hard on the court, and, and my shoulder, just it just popped out, and it just kind of hung there, you know. If you've had a shoulder separation, uh, you, it just kind of pops out. And I looked down, and my shoulder was just kind of there, and I was kind of holding it, you know, and it was it was gross, and it really hurt. So we don't play tackle basketball anymore. If it hurts Red Bear, it's out. So anyway. But if you've had a dislocated hip or a dislocated shoulder, or a dislocated finger. Christy, your finger, I think, was dislocated at camp. Not my camp. At some other camp. Yeah. It's painful. Now, here his hip, his whole hip is popped out, which means that Jacob will not be able to do something which he's relied on for years and that is run. See, Jacob is real clever and he knows when he needs to hightail it out. He knows how to slip out of a situation. He knows, but now he can't because there's this hip dislocation and he's in pain. Now here we see something that's really worth noting. The Lord is purposefully... Hurting a man. Purposefully causing pain to come into a man's life. I know that there are many in this room tonight that right now are in pain. It might be a physical pain. Perhaps an emotional pain. Maybe a marital pain. And you say, I don't understand. If God is a God of love, if the Lord is so wonderful like you're all singing about and talking about, then why is there this pain? Why is there this crippling? How could it be if God is a God of love that He would allow this pain to persist day after day, year after year? Why would He purposefully pain a person. How could it be that a loving God would do this to Jacob? Dislocate his hip and cause him pain. And the Lord said after he caused this pain, let me go. The day's breaking. Hey Jacob, let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Hosea chapter 12 gives us the commentary, verses 3 and 4. That Jacob was weeping, Hosea tells us. He was crying. It wasn't like I got you in in a double chicken wing or a half Nelson. It wasn't that Jacob was in control. Jacob was in pain. And he was just kind of holding on for dear life. He was the one that was pinned, if you would. And he cries out in pain, even as he's pinned to the ground, I'm just going to hang on. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Even though he was hurting badly. Yet in his pain, he understood. He innately, intuitively understood, I've got to be blessed. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me and the Lord heard that and the Lord said verse 27 what is your name now the Lord wasn't saying I'm not sure I know you Uh can you reintroduce yourself to me I I forgot your." N-. the Lord did not forget his name the Lord is giving Jacob an opportunity to finally get it right years earlier what did Jacob say when his dad who was blind About ready to give out the blessing. His blind dad, his blind dad said to Jacob when Jacob came in pretending to be his older brother, his blind dad said, who are you? And what did Jacob say? He said, I am Esau. Now the Lord is giving him an opportunity. Let's try it again. What's your name? No more games. No more trying to be somebody that you're not. No more camouflage. No more disguise. What is your name? Talk to me, the Lord is saying. Come clean. This is an opportunity for you to come clean. What's your name? And He says, Yaakov, Jacob. Which means what? Heel snatcher. One who trips people up. One who is a conniver. A con man. A dirty, rotten scoundrel. That's who I am. That's what my name suggests, and that's who I am. I am going to finally admit who I am. I'm Jacob. As he's pinned to the ground, just hanging on to the Lord, saying, I'm not going to let you go. What's your name? Jacob. That's who I am. He comes clean. He makes the confession. And the Lord says, Hey, thy name, verse 28, shall be called no more Yaakov, no more Jacob. But now your name will be Israel. Israel, which means governed by God. Now your name will be Israel. You're a different man. A different personality is going to be worked into you. A different kind of character is going to be seen in you. No more Jacob. Now the Lord says, from here on out your name is Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God, and power with men, you have prevailed. And Jacob, verse 29, asked the Lord and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And the Lord said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? Why are you asking that? You know who I am. You know who I am. And he blessed him right then and right there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel which means the face of God. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him and he halted, limped upon his thigh. Therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank which is upon the hollow of the thigh, even to this day, because the Lord touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. To this day, the Jewish people will not eat that part of any animal. Lambs or cows or pigs. Well, they don't eat pigs anyway, but they will not eat that part of the animal in honor of their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Jacob. That piece of meat we're not going to eat because that's the place where our great-great-grandfather, where our dad, if you would, that's the place he was touched. I can see in my mind's eye Jacob, now called Israel, hobbling back, hobbling over that brook Jabbok and coming back to the camp where his kids are are now awake for the morning has broken and they see their dad coming. "Dad, Dad! Daddy! Dad! Dad! What happened to you? And in my mind's eye, I can see a smile on His face. Kids, last night, I met God face to face. And my walk will never be the same. Dad, you met God? Yeah, I met God. Dad, Dad, are you okay? It looks like... You're limping. I'm okay. It's got to be this way, kids. Every step I take, honey, Dinah, every step I take, Reuben and and Simeon, every step I take, Joey, Joseph, every step I take from here on out, I'm going to have to lean on this stick or I'll fall flat on my face. A reminder to me that I'm going to have to lean on the Lord. I'm going to be governed by God. I'm okay. And those kids were so impressed with what they saw in the coming weeks and months and years in Jacob's life that they said, that's the key to his life. Not his cleverness, not his intelligence. Not his charisma. Jacob had all of that. Jacob was a man that was clever and had charisma and was smarter than attack. But that's the problem. Why did God have to hurt him intentionally to break him? The reason is the same reason that God has to bring pain into my life and pain into yours. See, Jacob was a man who any CEO would want to hire to be a key executive in his company. He was a can-do kind of guy. He was clever, charming, skilled, intelligent. And That's the problem. Because God says, Jacob, I have huge plans for you. You are going to have a huge impact on the history of the world. Israel is to be your name. From you will come a whole nation. Israel. And from that nation will come Messiah who will rule and reign in the millennium in the capital of that nation, Jerusalem. I've got huge plans for you. But you're too smart. You're too self-confident. You're too assured of your own ability to connive. To make it happen. You're clever. Too clever by half. I'm going to break you. I'm going to pain you. Why? Because, Jacob. Because, John. Because, dear sister and brother. you got to understand that no matter how charming or intelligent or clever or how good you may be in any given area, in comparison to God's ability, your skill is puny. Your intelligence is nothing. Your strength is scrawny in comparison to God's. But you see, until that's taken from me, I will have a tendency to rely on my strength, my cleverness, my education, whatever I think that I might have. And so God says, John, it's nothing what you have at the best. At the best of your ability, it's nothing. My strength and my intelligence is infinite. Yours is puny. So I'm going to break. I'm going to to allow this pain to come into your walk, into your life. Because then, Johnny, and only then, then, Jacob, and only then, will you be forced to lean on Me every step, every day, or you'll fall flat on your face. But... In this way, you're forced to lean on Me and you'll draw from Me strength and understanding and perception and ability and you will be much greater. You'll be Israel instead of conniver. You'll be governed by Me instead of making it happen in your own puny energy. and you You can't do that, John. It won't work. See, here's the deal. Here's the fact. We say, okay, if I have to be broken to not trust in me, but to be forced to lean on Thee, okay, I understand. But Lord, once I'm broken, can't You heal me? I mean, Lord, I wrestled with You about this. I've been broken by You over that. Lord, can't You just fix it now? Well, I think of another story of a man who was lame. He was lame for 38 years. Laying there on the deck of a pool there in Jerusalem... 50 block on his face. Ray-Bans over his eyes. K-Apple on the radio. Laying there day after day, year after year. He was there with a whole bunch of other crippled people. Lame folks. Because there was a tradition that upon occasion an angel would come down and stir the waters of that pool, that pool of Bethesda. And the tradition said that when the water was stirred, the first one that got to dive in would be healed of their lameness. This guy was there, but he had a problem. He can't walk. He's crippled. How in the world is he going to ever get in? So he just resigns himself to sun tanning and laying there. When one day, from out of nowhere, this young rabbi comes his way, taps him on the shoulder, hey, 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 Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? He must have looked up. What? Silly rabbi. <laughs> These kind of tricks are for kids. I what what do you <laughs> What kind of a trick is this? will i be made whole how could i don't have a man to help me how can i get in the water when the water is stirred up you know the tradition the first one in gets the healing i I don't have a man to help me and that rabbi looked at him and spoke to him in such a way that something happened at that moment that day that rabbi said stand up, take your bed, get out of here. And when that lame man heard those words, he had a choice to make. And something in him caused him to embrace the word that he heard. And he stood up and and he couldn't believe it. He, he stood up and his legs didn't give out. Whoopee! He stood up, he grabs his bed and he races out of that place and, and he's jumping around and hey, hey, I can walk, I can run, I can leap. I used to be lame, I used to be crippled, but no more. Whoopee, whoopee. And there were some Pharisees that saw him. Hey, 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 hold on. Stop. <laughs> yeah, it's the Sabbath day you're not supposed to carry your bed on the Sabbath day. I mean, these guys totally missed the miraculous moment that they were looking at, and they were concerned about some religious regulation. The rabbis, the Pharisees in those days, said that the Sabbath day must be honored in such a way that you carry no burden, so if you have false teeth, you take them out. If you have a wooden leg, you unscrew it. You, you don't carry anything. And this guy is carrying his bed, and he's jumping around, and the Pharisees said, hey, stop that. Who told you to do this? Well, I was healed. And the guy that healed me said to take up my bed, so of course I did. Well, who is this one that healed you? Huh. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just so happy to be healed. Whoopee! I I don't know Him. I don't know who it was. Somebody. That's the issue. You see, the reality of the... We all would like to be healed. To have the pain go away. To have the hurt not there anymore. To be free. To not have to deal with it anymore. But the fact of the matter is, if that was to happen, we would go, whoopee, whoopee, and we wouldn't know Him. The pain stays. The limp continues. Day after day, year after year that we might be forced to lean on Him and talk to Him and then draw from Him strength and insight that we would never ever get if we were just going, whoopee! And that's why the Lord says, Jacob, Israel. It's not going to go away. The pain was necessary, and the limp will be there all the days of your life. But because of that, your kids, your kids, Jacob, Israel, your kids, and their kids, and their kids' kids, and all the way down the line will say, This is what, this is what we're proud of in our dad. Not his cleverness not in his ability to manipulate the situation. What we are proud of, what we honor to this day is, our dad was a broken man. He limped through life. He leaned on God. He wasn't Mr. Whoopee. But there was a richness and a depth and a character in dad that we will honor for all of our generations throughout our nation's history. Moms and dads, let me tell you. Grandpa and grandma, let me remind you. What your kids and grandkids will honor is not your ability to whoopee, but when they see you limp through life, leaning on God and drawing from Him strength, and character and depth. That's what will go down in their memories as your legacy. Not how successful you were climbing the corporate ladder. Not how big your bank account was or how big your portfolio became or how skilled you were athletically or what kind of charisma you showed at Rotary. What they will remember is what they saw you go through and continue to draw strength from as you limped. They'll say, my dad, my mom, my grandpa, my grandma, he's a man, she's a woman of God. There's depth. God knows that if he healed my hurt, if he healed your hurt, the tendency would be, (laughs) to the cabin, to the mountains, to Europe. Sorry, I'm not at church anymore, but I've got my boat, you see. Whoopee! Or whatever it might be. Nothing wrong with boats. God knows. Let me ask you a question before we go our way tonight. A very important question. If you had your choice, if God came to you tonight and said, I'll take away the pain. You'll have no more pain in your heart or pain in your body or pain in your emotions. I'm going to set you free from that pain totally. Tonight, right now, Here, at this moment I'm going to set you free but but you won't know me in the way that you would have had you been forced to limp through life like Israel but you will be free of the pain but you won't know me or That pain which I've allowed to come into your life, just like I allowed that pain to be in Jacob's situation, it'll stay with you. But because of that pain, you'll have to lean on me, and in so doing, you'll have intimacy with me in a way that you never would have. But it's going to be there all the days of your life. Honestly. Honestly. Which would you choose? Would you say, okay. My broken heart, my aching body, my soul sorrow, whatever it might be. Yeah. If this is what it takes to get me to lean on you and then draw strength from you and have intimacy with you, okay. Would you say that? Or would you go, John, since you're asking the question, I've got to be honest with you. I would say, whoopee! give me the healing. Give me the healing. Even if that means I don't know the Lord quite as well. I don't lean on Him quite as much. Hey, I would opt for the whoopee. I'm tired of limping. I'm tired of hurting. Let me have the whoopee. Here's the kicker. You don't have a choice. (laughs) See, that's the clincher. I might say, give me the whoopee, but God said, sorry. It's not an option. Well... What kind of God would not give me the option for the whoopee? Why would He have me in this continual pain, this continual difficulty all the days of my life? What kind? I'll tell you what kind of God. It's a God who is more concerned about your eternal state than your present comfort. God sees the big picture, people. God sees that this life is short. And God sees that we're going to be with Him forever and ever. And He loves me too much to say, I'll let you make a dumb choice. See, when my kids were growing up, when they were in my house certain things, no matter how much they wanted to, it wasn't an option. Because I care about them. Oh, they might really, truly want to have hot fudge sundaes three times a day instead of meat and potatoes and vegetables. But, sorry. Well, why not? Why are you painting me with these veggies? Painting me with this broccoli? Painting me with these peaches? Because... Because I care more about you than you even care about yourself. I care more about the person that you're going to become. And I know that if I give you what you want, whoopee, hot punch Sundays every meal three times a day, it's going to have a detrimental effect on you. The Heavenly Father would say, John, I care more about your eternal riches Than your present ease. I know that, John, your life is but a vapor. I know it's going to be over before you can even. You know, isn't it funny getting older? You're saying no. (laughs) I can remember not too long ago saying, Man, where did the day go? And then. As, as a young adult, I said, man, where did the week go? And then middle age comes and you go, man, where did the year go? Have you noticed that the years, I mean, it's Christmas and it's Christmas again. I just get the decorations put away and, and it were pulled. And then as you move into the latter years, you say, where did my life go? Life is short. Where did it go? I mean, Christy, Pumpkin is graduating from high school this week. How can that be possible? Well, I don't mean, how could she graduate? I mean, but but how can this be? Man. And God sees, John, John, I'm not going to give you a choice on this one. Because you're going to be spending a zillion, gadillion years in heaven. And I want you to enter in with richness. I don't want you to be a pauper eternally. I want you to enter into the kingdom with richness. I want you to know me. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ, through Christ, because of Christ, will last. So, John, that's the way it's got to be. Limp. Lean. I'm going to force you to, that you might really know me. And finally, when I get to those places, gang, when I say, okay, so, you have to purposely break and brand a man or a woman. You have to, out of necessity, cause pain. You've got to cripple to get us to lean on you. Okay. But sometimes, Lord, I get confused. I I know these things to be true, but when it comes to this breaking, this bruising, this bleeding, I get confused. I talked to a man today about this issue. What do you do when you get confused? When you, when you lose your way? When you get a little bit out of sync? Our Lord, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. John, I am so passionately in love with you and I care so deeply about you that it wasn't just my hip. My body was ripped apart and my blood flowed and I am the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. I care so much about you my body was broken. Please, John, do this in remembrance of me. Of course, Lord, of course. If you were broken in this way because of your love for me, then I know that the pain that you're allowing to come into my life is because you really do care you really do want the very best for me as it relates to eternity. Okay. The table of the Lord is the key. The Lord's table, communion, for me, it's essential. Because I can get mixed up. Maybe you don't, but I can I can get confused about pain and sadness and sorrow. And then I come to the Lord's table. I don't need the psychiatrist's couch. I can come to the Savior's table. And all of a sudden, I see it again. Right on. You love me. You proved it to me on the cross when your body was broken when your heart burst, and so I'll eat of this and drink of that, and I'll go my way and say, I got it, Lord. What you're doing is because, like what you did with Jacob that day, you loved him. That's why you crippled him. And the same thing is true for you. And it's true for me. Let's pray, shall we? I ask special grace, Father, upon people that right now are feeling pain and wondering why. That, Lord, this passage would be applied by Your Spirit to their lives. That they would, Lord, embrace and actually celebrate Rather than resent and become embittered. Father, I know that in the events that we go through and the pains that we deal with, I know, Father, that it's going to make me, make us either bitter or better. Please, Lord, may we not be bitter. Please, Father, allow those that follow in our footsteps, those that come after us, see the beauty of brokenness, even as Jacob's children did. Forgive me, Father, For like Jacob trying to pull things out in my own energy trying to make things happen in my own ability I know that that leads to disaster forgive us and thank you Lord that you deal with that tendency in brokenness in crippling it needs to be We embrace it. We thank You for it. Righteous and true are Your judgments, Your decisions. And Lord, we filter all of our experiences through the lens of the cross of Calvary. And it all makes sense. Without that fact, Father, we would be a bummed out and embittered group of people. Because of that, we see the light and we can rejoice in the fellowship of suffering. We can embrace the grace that is discovered in the times of crippling. Now, Father, I would just ask that these precious people that I have watched you work in, I know many of their stories lord you've done a marvelous thing not easy but marvelous and right in light of eternity and i pray that as they as we limp out of here tonight that lord there might be an understanding And the end result would be a true intimacy with you, Father. Closeness, growth, depth. Bless these, your people. Thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives. Keep it up, Lord. We can't let you go until you bless us.